start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. This this, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Jay Allen Show. I hope everything is good and grand inside of your neck of the woods as you are hanging out, doing all the fun stuff that you're doing here on this last day of January of 2023. Now, of course, there's some assumptions being made there meaning that you are taking a listen to this on the day that it came out. Because then if you didn't, then it's a different time. And so now we've done something called time swap, which makes it even more interesting if we start thinking about that. But let's leave that conversation for a different day. Anyways, I am coming to you today to talk a little bit about some things that are going on inside of our lovely industry, because that's always the fun stuff. Uh, So as you heard, or might have not heard, I got to hang out a few weeks ago at a Safety Choose Practical Application Conference that took place in St. Petersburg, Florida. And there was a lot of great presentations at that time. And I have to tell you, today is another episode of one of the presentations that took place at the event. So, without me holding back too much in regards of what's going on, you're going to have the opportunity of taking a listen to Jeff Lith, Brent Sutton, and Brent Robinson in regards of what is going on inside of the world of learning teams. So, without much further ado... Take a listen to what's going on right here on the Jay Allen Show. So happy to be here with my Commonwealth brothers. We were we became pandemic collaborators and friends and associates, and so they've come a long way, and it's a wonderful thing. We're going to combine time. I'm going to be real quick here and tell you guys about something so small, so almost silly. It's ridiculous, but it's turned out to be really, really effective for a lot of organizations I want to say one one thought I've had this week is that practical and practical applications means different things for different people. And I'm going to maybe try to win the KISS prize here uh, in keeping it very simple. Um, Okay, everybody wait. Um, No, uh, I either I either understood the assignment or I completely did not understand the assignment. So I want to tell you about uh, a little thing we've been working on here. I'm going to show it to you. Ready? 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 See if this works. Nope, it does not work. Thank you. Oh, we're mouse clicking. Did you see that? How appropriate. It's a mouse click to introduce my little friend, the Trojan mouse. Um, 
And uh, I'm going to explain what we mean by this. Um, so this discussion of buy-in, and, and again, I'm going to go back to asking people to take a leap of faith based on my leap of faith and the struggles. It was such a trigger thing to hear, given what we've been, a lot of us have been through the last 10 years. Um, and after that leap of faith or, or winning some faith over, there was this notion of, of learning teams as a form of Trojan horse was, was how we've approached it. And I always, you know, it worked. It's worked very well at times. Uh, other times, not so much difficult. And I always wondered, too, if it's just sort of the wrong way of thinking about it, that we're storming the castle. And I think we're almost, if we connect to that kind of thinking, we're imagining it's a bigger, harder battle than it is. Um, so the sufficient leadership understanding to allow, uh, uh, and then to not argue with the results, even if we were successful getting a pilot and able to Trojan horse a learning team, there was still that real test at the end, which was, are they ready to handle the truth? Can they handle those learnings? So it was just fraught with difficulty, and I'm not big on difficulty. Th thus, the keep it simple, stupid uh, reference. So I love this notion of a Trojan mouse, and, and I think we've come up with one that I want to tell you about. Um, what it helps us do is uh, it helps benefit um, frontline leadership engagements. It, I think it helps benefit all these great conversations we want to have out on the shop floor. But then that also helps us gather these little stories, uh, internal stories, without asking permission or approvals. We can have these conversations, generate these little stories, and start feeding those stories up in the organization to to earn the right to go forward and to, and to create um, uh, curiosity. This is what they are. We call them the four Ds. Dumb, dangerous, difficult, and different. We, again, embarrassing as all heck. We're talking about the power of language, and these are some silly words. But I'll tell you, in the industrial places I hang out, um, these simple terms have really helped leaders go and have a conversation with those that do the work. Um, when we, so we encourage supervisors, managers, um, supervisors do this pre-shift all throughout the shift, the pre-shift where they might inquire about the work ahead. What do you guys think is going to be dumb, dangerous, difficult, or different? At the end of the day, they can look back. Um, and then throughout the day, some supervisors are saying, look, I want you to get me right away. If you guys encounter anything you think is dumb, dangerous, difficult, or different. And then ultimately, these management work observations, instead of this going out to scrutinize and you know, keep pretend I'm not here, just work, and I'm your manager, and I'm going to watch your work. So it, it changes that from a, an old kind of policing work observation KPI for managers to one that's really, I think, embodies a lot of what we talk about here. Um, so when we say, I mean, dumb is a really bad word, Adam. I'm really sorry. Um, uh, and this is the, you know, these are bad, not perfect words. But in a lot of workplaces, it, it makes a lot of sense to those on the shop floor. And, and the words themselves are not precious. Even the categories are not precious because when you start inquiring about these things, you find it crosses over and the same issue raised might tick a few of these boxes. But when we're asking folks what they think is dumb, we're saying, well, it doesn't make sense. What do we ask you to do that doesn't make sense? Or what do you see happening around here that doesn't make sense to you? Dangerous, obviously, risk. And it can be just the perception of risk or, or it can lead us to a sticky uh, have have we defined sticky for everybody? Does everybody know sticky? Yeah. The, yeah, the stuff. That's right. The stuff that'll kill you. Um, so we can escalate it all the way to that. Um, difficult um, and different change. Um, now, these originated in the... Uh, there's aviators here. Um, so tell me if I'm wrong here. Tune me up. 
But I, my understanding was that the three, this originated with the three Ds coming out of flight school. And when somebody would graduate flight school in, in the U.S. Uh, military air services, their, their, the final statement would be, all right, you know, don't do anything dumb, dangerous or different. Um, and that evolved, I understand, in the military towards uh, a bit of an extension on that. Listen, don't do anything dumb, dangerous or different. If you can't resolve it, then tell your, your next in command. Um, so that's, I understand, where they began. They were taken on then by Dr. Ivan Puplity uh, in the U.S. Forest Service uh, Aviation Wing. And being the Ivan that he is, started using them proactively. He started saying, tell me when something's dumb, dangerous, or different. So when I heard that, I thought, you know, we can really use that in industry. I figured we needed to add difficulty. I mean, maybe I'm thinking it'd be very difficult for me to work in the U.S. Air uh, Forest Service Aviation Wing or the military. So maybe difficulty in those roles doesn't need to be said. I think those are difficult roles. But in the work we do, if something's particularly hard to do or hard to do well, it should be talked about. It needs to be brought up. So that's where we came. This is just makes so easy and so low-hanging an opportunity to go and inquire, practice good leadership by inquiring and, and getting the um, perspective of the workforce. And what they lead to is either, and most of the time, I'd say 75% of the time, it's just a clarification, explanation, opportunity, and it really just ends there. And it's a great little leadership exchange. Sometimes it's an intervention opportunity. Sometimes somebody will say, that over there doesn't make sense. And the person asking the question will go, it really doesn't thank you and go over and, and intervene or, or something's dangerous. And it'll be like, oh, thank you. We're going to go pause that work. Um, but it's, it, it's just led to this great, great opportunities. Um, I think it lowers the threshold in what can and should be talked about at a crew level, at a team level. Um, reduces that concealment and builds trust when you're coming out asking to know how the sausage is made or their perceptions of how the sausage is made. Um, it engages workers in the solution too, because we'll, we'll continue the conversation, spitball solutions. Um, and the knock-on effect, when we, having these conversations, word spreads in our experience. Um, so not a heck of a lot more to say about that, I don't think. I really want to hand it over um, to my friends here, but I was taken uh, by my friend Ron's comment yesterday who said, we are doing safety too anytime we are improving our ability to get work done in varying conditions. And I, I think this does that. This really does that. Um, so they're starting to be used all over by a number of organizations. There are some folks here in this room that have had an experience using this and just seeing what it does inside the organization. Um, these are some uh, great folks that couldn't be here today. Uh, this code will take you to some videos they made when they launched uh, their program. Um, there is going to be like a Vision Zero logo in the videos, but you know, hey, change is slow. And and uh, if, if we're really successful, I mean, I really think the, the Trojan mouse uh, has got to be a tool we use to in time in a number of months, perhaps, uh, start to see that logo disappear. And, and these are, these are little effective ways that we can help get there. So these guys are, this company is, uh, uh in nine countries, 24,000 employees. Um, they've done a hundred of these scheduled sessions. They've scheduled sessions to go have this conversation, yielding incredible results. So this is an early video and it's got a, some examples in there, but that's it friends. So that's my attempt at, at keeping uh, this incredibly rich, incredibly brilliant conversation we've been having, keeping it incredibly simple. 
Um, but I'll, I'll ask you to uh, later on look at this or, or ask the folks in the room that have played with it. It's turned out to be really effective. It's turned out to be a way to initiate a conversation, generate stories, and then we can leverage that to make change without the big commitment of a huge learning team uh, uh, Trojan horse. So with that, I want to introduce my friends from uh, my friends, my Commonwealth friends from across the pond, the Brents, the two Brents, Brent Sutton and Brent Robinson from Learning Teams Incorporated. Thanks. Hi, thanks, Jeff. And thanks, everyone. And um, I, I think if I was to earn a dollar for every time Learning Teams was used the last three days, I could afford a Cuban sandwich. <laughs> it was really impressive. So, so thank you. For those that don't know me, um, a few years ago, I was really lucky to co-author a little book called The Practice of Learning Teams. And um, that, that book, really, I have to acknowledge that uh, Learning Teams is the original work of uh, Todd Conklin. And I don't know if Todd's hiding in here or in the room across the hall. From his original book called Asking Better Questions in 2016. And Learning Teams is really just becoming a common everyday language. And I think what, what inspired me to start off with a book um, a number of years ago with Todd was how could, how could we bring learning teams to the masses? How could we make it um, something that we could share um, across those groups? So in that spirit, I'm here today, today with you to also share with you some of the work that we've been doing around the front line. So I've heard a lot of the last few days about the front line, and I want to share with you around that as well. And we'll also share with you one of our white papers that you can download for free where all these things we're talking about you can actually see and you can start applying your own business. And the 4Ds was part of that. And it was great because we dragged Jeff into becoming an author of a book as well. And it's still in the top 25, Jeff, on Amazon. Woohoo! Absolutely. So um, let's, let's look about learning from everyday work because I think it's really important and what we've heard a lot about is these things called weak signals. And you'll see how I've got two diagrams. I've got an iceberg diagram. That, that's not to annoy safety two people. That's not to celebrate safety one people. That's just to say that the organisation typically only sees things that go through the surface of water. So when events happen, those weak signals become strong signals. And as we know, in hindsight, all of us will, will come out with our best expertise and remind everyone about what those weak signals were prior to the event happening. And if we align that with what Eric talks about with his circles, that we need to look past accidents. We need to look past incidents. We need to look out that everyday work to understand where those weak signals are present. And the work that we've done, what we're saying is that those strong signals, that learning opportunity needs to be led by the organisation. But those weak signals need to be led by the frontline workers. Because if you want to understand what those weak signals are, and how that is either an opportunity or a threat to the organisation, you are never going to scale up using the techniques or the concepts you're using now. It cannot scale. 
We've seen that with learning teams. You know, I, I can take a conventional root cause analysis investigation of days and weeks and get it down to 90 minutes. You're still limited in how many 90-minute sessions you can run across an organization. So it's about scale. And we've identified four different areas initially around how to create that scale. About We were talking about learning at the front line, making that front line come to life. And you've just heard from Jeff about the four Ds. Think of the four Ds as a thinking frame. It's not about which D is, is appropriate. It's about helping workers think about when they're in that system, what is dumb, dangerous, difficult, and different to them. One of the organizations I'm working with who are in the kiwi fruit sector, we all have a bit of kiwi, keeps you going, keeps, you, keeps the bells moving. Yep. They've got the five Ds because the fifth D is dirty because for them, contamination is your huge product. They, want to, they don't want to kill the consumer. They want to make the consumer healthy in that way. But the thing here, it's not a linear. It's a circle. So for them, it's about getting workers to think in the work that they're doing every day, what is dumb, dangerous, difficult, different to them. And that's a daily activity. The second component that we've looked at is around that pre- and post-work activity. So often do I see it that a lot of these post-work activities that we do um, end up asking people what went well and what didn't go well. My problem is you're asking judgment. You're asking workers to form judgment. When in reality, we really want workers to share with us about the rubs that they're encountering in that work. So for us, that whole notion of pre- and post-work is about getting workers to share with us where they're having to make do. Understanding there's a difference between how work is planned, how work emerges, therefore how work is done. And that is a reflective component. And we've talked about reflection quite a bit as well. I love a good bit of reflection. I, despite what, how I look, I practice mindfulness. Okay? I'm a very calm person on a good day. Unless I go through TSA. Um, but the reality is, if we want our workforce to reflect, if we want our workforce to build these, this capacity that we keep talking about, we have to create the opportunity for that to happen in that one. The third component is routine work. Routine work is the enemy of learning. Routine work kills learning. It is that a lot of people talk about the complacency that exists in routine work. So what we're saying about routine work is finding that ability to get workers to reflect back over a period of time and to get them by using the four Ds, by getting them to have this conversation. And we call these things self-guided facilitations within work teams. No safety people involved, no facilitators involved, just a work team thing that they get to look back over a period of time. And by looking back, they get to see some of those micro changes that have occurred, the things that we don't see. The only time we see them is either when we do an audit, 
an observation, any form of intervention, and I don't know how workers enjoy interventions. I certainly don't enjoy an intervention at TSA at any point of view. So we have to move beyond that. And then the fourth component of that is sticky. Jeff's talking about stickies, you know, stuff that can kill you. We've got to be careful. Don't want to swear. But also there's the other side of the sticky, which we call STRM. And that stands for stuff that really matters. And how often are we actually asking workers, when you are doing that type of critical work, what is the stuff that you are relying on that keeps you safe? And it would not come as a surprise that if you had a group of workers, different workers would share different things with you about what they rely on. So for us, there is a learning opportunity there is a learning moment in that conversation for that group of workers to hear from other workers of what they rely on. There is an opportunity for those workers to put on their lens and share their lens of that work because that learning happens within that opportunity itself without any form of intervention happening at all. And the work we're doing at the moment, we are actually showing the capacity that exists between residual risk, so all the stuff you've put in place, all the barriers, all the mitigations, all the controls you'll put in place, there's that stuff called residual risk, and we're showing the actual physical capacity between that residual risk and normal work, and we call that the grey space. And that grey space is going to become really important because despite what you believe, the organisation, the Brains Trust the organisation has said, when it determines residual risk, it has said, I can do no more. And I have passed off, I have transferred that risk to the front line and somehow that group perform miracles every day. And when they don't perform a miracle, we will come in and investigate. And when they do perform miracles, we won't ask any questions about how those miracles are performed. So there's a huge opportunity to understand that gray space. So how do we do that? In the book, The Practice of Learning Teams, we really talked about the importance that a learning team is not just about organizational learning. A learning team is about creating learning both for workers, creating learning for the work group, that work team, and also creating learning for the organization. And surprisingly, those three different groups learn different things. And learning has to be intentional. So when we looked at this whole concept of learning at the front line, creating those frontline insights, we started with the workers. We didn't start with the organization. And we said what, what, what we wanted to do is we want to create an environment. And this is what the four Ds helps do. We want to create an environment that moves workers from simply assessing or evaluating the system, which is what our systems do to us every single day. We want to move those workers so they get to critically appraise that system. They get to see whether they're in that system. And by doing so, we help to build those critical thinking skills. And the four Ds is using 
a skill that you're all born with called curiosity. And the 4D takes you from being curious and it starts to build those skills of appraisal and critical thinking through that repetitive notion of doing it. And on the organisational side, the opportunity there from the organisational point of view where to actually see those patterns or clusters of those weak signals that are coming from those frontline insight programs. And then to run learning teams to do that deeper understanding around that, to find out if those insights are an opportunity to improve or a potential threat that may not be perceived because people are having to live in the system that they work in. Because workers will only try and problem solve in their own domain. They don't problem solve at an organisational level. I don't know how you feel, but workers are having to make do every day. Yep, making do is what they, that's how we live, is making do. So let's give you an example, that pre-post-work example Uh, Brent Robinson is going to show you a little bit of case study in a second. But what we're doing there is we're using a technique where we get the workers to explore workers planned. This is how the organisation believes the job's going to be done. That pre-start work where they get to find out what they've got with them on the day, what they're going to live with, how that work then evolves because I don't know about you, but you might start a project and you work out two people sick, machine turns up late, material's not the correct specification. All that stuff that happens, that's work has evolved. Work is done. And the most important thing is that reflective component where workers are sharing their insights about where they've had to make do. And the business intelligence for the organisation sits in the making do. And how workers share those stories with you, it's not just what they say, but it's also how they say it. And it's in how they say it is where we get to understand the coping component. So with that, I'm going to pass over to Brent number two, (laughs) or the better Brent. Oh, I don't know if it's the better Brent. What drove this is that we were on a large project we had, um, it was a, for our business at the time, it was a very large project. The general contractor made us jump through hoops on um, pre-starts. We had to do a pre-start every day. We had to upload it and they did something with it magically. It meant nothing to our guys. 70 guys early in the morning in Wagga in Australia, it is four degrees and they're listening to us talking about trenching, and none of them are doing any trenching. That's not what they do. They were doing other tasks. So, and that was what was driven by the general contractors. We also, so we sat that the other part of the story I need to tell you is we were losing money like there was no tomorrow on this job. So we were looking at this and just trying to understand we're going to make this real. It's got to be real for the people on site. So we started talking to the guys about it. The other little fact here is that on a $16 million contract, when we actually, we talk about waste in our business, or we talked about waste in our business. I know some people talk about clutter. You know, there's a range of different ways we look at it. 
This was pure waste. If we took the time we spent doing this every morning, the results we got from it, which was zero, and then multiplied that by the labour cost, we spent $400,000 over the, over the project. Very easy to explain to your senior management. We've got to find a better way to do it. So what we, what we came up with, and Brent had been using it for a few years, Step. We really wanted to understand what was the interaction between the site we're working on, the task we were doing, the equipment they were going to use to do that task, and the people we had on the site at the time. And we, what we wanted to do was them to discuss that. We wanted a really, really simple way of doing it. So what we decided to do is we put this, we got this magnetic thinking frame, gave it to them. We had 14 utes on site, I think, at the time. Got lots of them, tried it with one group of guys first, had a look at it and said, okay, tell us what you're thinking, right? And they just took it. They put on the UV value for the day because in Australia we're worried about UV values quite often. And then they just started talking to each other. And they were saying, well, you know, on the site today we've got, we're under a huge time pressure at the moment. Um, we're going to, we've got other contractors that we're interfacing with. And they started working it themselves. And it became the way that they started the job off in the morning. What really blew us away, and they did this themselves, right, what really blew us away is that they took that, that was our pre-start. We can put a little QR code on it. They photographed it, went to the general contractor who goes, that's not our standard form. We had the argument, went through the process with them, went back to our facility in uh, Melbourne. But what blew us away is that then they took that and then stuck it on the side of the ute. And that became their desk for the day because when something changed, they put it on there. When something wasn't working for them, they put it on there. And at the end of the day, they could use it for reflection. Now, what we've done with this recently is, and Jeff's been, you know, talking about the four Ds and how simple they are, we've overlaid the four Ds with this. And the four Ds are really helping spark those conversations. It blows me away the depth of conversation we have on site. So if I was turning up on site, we're talking about the four Ds, and we use that to spark that conversation, it deepens the conversation. What I really love about this, and we've been talking about safety and how we sell it to management, what these people, these guys and girls on our sites, they not only drive a better safety outcome for us, because when we ask them what's dumb or difficult, that's now feeding back into our production process and our design process. And these people in Australia that we've been working with we're driving changes to our product, all the way through to our product. And I'll give you a quick little little example. On some of these sites, we put on large we were putting on large facades around buildings. We might drill three thousand holes in concrete to get the facade on and bolted onto the outside of the outside of the structure. The issue that we're facing is we are facing um, creating silica dust when we drill holes. One of the guys came up to us and said, you know what, if we just put in-beds in, when they're pouring the concrete, you wouldn't have to drill a hole. Every hole we drill took 30 minutes with silica dust. We were drilling through 16, um, we were drilling through four inches of concrete, rebar gets in the way. If it's a post-tension slab, God help you if it hit post-tension tendon, because um, all hell will break loose, because uh, the building no longer structurally safe. But and it's so simple. I mean, we go to Hilti and we get a so we're now saving 30 minutes times 3,000 holes, and it's changed the way we do it. 
take that back to management. Came from a safety thing, moved to a production thing. Now it's now design. Not only that, it's made the business more competitive because our, our, our competition aren't thinking that way. They're still drilling holes in concrete. Good luck to them. Fantastic. And that's what I love about this stuff. It's transcending safety. You know, so, you know, I don't know what we're going to call safety in the future. If you, you, know, you know, I've been listening to it all day, but I love that this moves from one part of the business to the other. And Tom was talking about it before. It's not just about the safety aspects any longer. It's about all the stuff we're doing throughout the business. And that's a much easier conversation to have with senior management and the uh, board of directors. Because at, at the moment, safety is a cost, right? But now safety is changing what we're doing. And it's in, that, it's in our innovation. It's in our product development. What a fantastic outcome. And so that's where it's really driving it for us. And, you know, I'm loving it. And, you know, as being a, as being a lean guy originally, the two things are now making sense to me, right? And I don't see them as separate. I just see that we're enabling continuous improvement in our businesses, and it starts with safety. And I don't think we should be, you know, as Tom said, we shouldn't be siloed. We shouldn't just have um, safety people and lean people. Let's push it together. So I think that that's a, a snapshot, a, a really simple example um, of where it's just helping us, and it's deepening the conversation that we're having with people. I know it's not all, and it you know, all about safety, but it drives what we're doing and makes our life simpler. Yeah. Any questions besides what's a you? That would be <laughs> yeah. my it's first question. Trump. It's a lot of <laughs> Yeah, I'm not quite at that point yet where when I'm up here, I use aluminium and aluminum sometimes, you know. <laughs> you know, it's often between. This hey, question fine. is for Brent. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> As a lean guy, yeah, I'm really curious to hear your perspective about the tension that may exist in some very traditional lean thinkers around the concept of standard work versus blue line, black line. Uh, my, my simple answer to that is that I'll go, sorry. My simple answer to that is that, um, you know, my life changed when I got to go to a Deming conference and many, many years ago, so that shows you how old I am because he's been gone for quite a while. Um, but he was a stunning guy. To me, it's about upper and lower control on this. There is no, and it's about continuous improvement, right? And we're going to move in between. And if we can move those upper and lower control limits and narrow that gap, fantastic. But I think we're always going to believe there's going to be a gap. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> some lean people in the room put them out <laughs> and I think the thing that Brent was talking about is that if you can give senior management something to measure give them something to measure so the fact that they were able to eliminate the presence of silica dust as a South Beach health and safety outcome it's really hard to measure the impact on people's lives by doing so. But what the organisation could measure was the actual improvement of operational excellence. And that's what the four Ds are doing. 
It's driving, it's driving that op- operational excellence, which is measurable using very traditional measurements. So, so my view is give senior management something else they can measure. Uh, as you talked about yesterday, if you can talk a little more about the fifth box that was added to that grid. Of the dirty? Yeah, so, so, so once again, um, the, the point here is that actually evolved through the work teams themselves. So, so they, were so, they were so excited, the fact that um, the organisation was actually listening. That was the first thing, because they never thought the organisation wanted to listen, because they felt the organisation basically only ever wanted people to report stuff, not listen. So once they were given that opportunity to listen, they actually came up and said, hey, but what about this stuff that we deal with? How can we include this into that same conversation? Because that was not about safety in terms of this was safety, that was about food safety. And the work groups came up with that. It's no different. Um, that um, chart we saw earlier when we handed it to them, that work team have since gone and, and redesigned that chart. They've now put a box in the centre for emergency response because they see what's valuable to them is if something goes wrong, they're able to access that information there and then. Now, uh, what did Deming call that? Self-improving teams? Yeah, self-improving teams. That's what we're seeing by engaging frontline workers. But remember, workers lead, organisation supports. I think I'd just like to offer a kind of an observation and something I think Brent and I, we kind of had a little discussion about this on your own LinkedIn page, I think about the connection to lean and continuous improvement. And I think something that's helped at least in our organization, and we're not very far on, I think what Ron so aptly called this today, your, your exploration of, uh, of safety to safety, definitely new view, whatever you call it. If you want to find an ally in your organization and talk about teaching, I mean, I'm, I've not been paid to sell their book, but give, but give, give your, give your continuous improvement folks a copy of their book and just put a, just put a little yellow sticky in the chapter on lean and see what they think about it. And then you might find that you suddenly have support from another corner and then you start to build that. It can help you build some momentum, which for me has been critical because basically everybody was, you know, you can't be a preacher in your, or, you know, you can't be a prophet in your own home, as everyone said this week. But if you get another prophet, <laughs> suddenly you start to be a choir, you know, instead of just a, a one-man band. So uh, I'd really recommend, you know, look at look at the fact that it's human and organizational performance. As we said, there is no safety. The word's not in there. So I'd say take advantage of that. Exactly. Thanks, Chuck. Thank you. Last chance. Don't be shy. Jeff can translate if you can't understand me. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, guys, if you go to our website, learningteamscommunity.com, you can download the white paper about learning from everyday work where these concepts are spout out and there's some really good examples. Once again, we're providing this to build community. 
that's the whole objective of it and to share that and and please just share back with us the things that you find it's once again this is not about the fix this is not about the solution this is just a starting point and and for us the pandemic gave us a great opportunity because what i like about working with north american and australian clients is the fact that um they don't mind doing a bit of micro experimenting okay and that's what it's all about. It's trying something else. What Jeff said, it's the Trojan mouse, which we've got a copyright, aren't we, Trojan mouse? We're going to, no, no. Yeah. It's about that Trojan mouse. It's trying things out, learning from that experiment and evolving that. I think it's, so, it's the adapting, right? What we see is these teams take it, you know, nobody owns it. They take it, they adapt it, and they use it in their own context. And I think that's so important that it doesn't have to fight, have five boxes to fix. And it's much more about a narrative than it is about anything else. Isn't it? We're collecting these narratives and, and getting these stories. And I think all week we've spoken about storytelling, and this is part of the storytelling. And that's how they're working with it. They're not ticking a box, and that's what I love about it. We don't even, with that example, we don't even get the sign that they've been at the free start. It's not important, right? It's not going to change anybody's life. Thank you. Well, there you go. That's going to pretty much sum it up all for us. I hope you enjoyed the episode, taking a listen to what Jeff, Brent, and Brent had to say, because it's always a fun time in regards of what's going on. Now, of course, with everybody else being from a different country, it's going to be interesting what happens going forward. But don't worry. Well, I'm sure we'll have them stateside at no time flat. We can talk about it, see what exactly what events they might have actually going on and go from there. Anyways, thank you for taking a listen to the Jay Allen Show. We will be back with another episode before too long. Goodbye for now. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 440 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case. And you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.